0: Is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. This is the word of the Lord. Verse four, Paul is saying he always prays for them with what? Joy. He prays with for them with joy. And joy is a key theme in this letter to the Philippians. It appears 16 times uh, just in this letter. Some people call it the epistle of joy or the letter of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice comes from the book of Philippians. So rejoicing and joy are key themes in this letter. And Paul says his partnership in the gospel with them is a source of joy for him, and that's why he can pray with joy. And I don't know about you, but it's a lot easier to pray for people that we are deeply connected to, if you think about your prayers. Those people we are deeply connected to, it's easier for us to pray for them. And Paul had connections with with many churches, but he feels a deep connection with the Philippian church. He helped plant this church. He went through a lot with them. He had this tight-knit relationship with them. And he loves them and appreciates them, and he's concerned for them. And that comes through in these verses. Verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is another important point. Because our connection to Jesus helps us with our affection with others. And it's then easier for us to have others in our hearts and in our prayers. Because let's be honest, some people frustrate us. Is it just me? (laughs) Maybe that's not an appropriate thing to say in a church amongst Christians. But let's be honest, we have to be honest yeah. And let's also be honest, sometimes we are the ones who are frustrating, aren't we? Yeah. You know, self, self-awareness is a gift. Um, and and I, I know we can all grow in self-awareness. But I need Jesus' affection desperately. I desperately need his affection. And if I'm connected to him, his affection flows into me and through me. To others. If I try and fake affection or manufacture it, it's exhausting. And I'm sure some of you have experienced that, like I have. Verse 9 And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God so so Paul's prayer for them is that they would grow in their love for one another and how are they going to grow in their love for one another when I get to know God who is love I grow in my love for you and how do I get to know God through his word and so, the more I fall in love with the Savior, the more I will want others to be saved. The more I fall in love with the Father, the more I, want, I will want others to come to Him. And more than that, Paul's saying, knowing the Word, the Word is the source of all knowledge. And so, the Word will give us insight and wisdom to know what is right and what is best. And who of us don't want to know that? What is right? And what is best. Verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, we've seen Paul's concern for the church in Philippi in the previous verses. So we know he is concerned for them. But they are also concerned for him. They heard he was in prison that he was facing death. And so they send one of their members, Epaphrodites, to Paul with a financial gift. In those days, um, prisoners had to look after their own needs. And so they send Epaphrodites with money to check on Paul. But also, we see later on in the book, to take care of Paul's needs, to take care of his needs. And then we see Paul, in turn, his concern playing out again, because he sends Epaphrodites back with this letter, and he says to them, he wants to reassure them, thank you for everything, I'm okay, I'm not down and out, I'm actually joyful. It's true, there are some challenges, but there's good news. And what's the good news? The gospel is advancing. And the picture here is of dense trees being cut back to make way for a path. And so Paul is saying the gospel is advancing. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So, everyone knew why Paul was in in prison for his faith in Christ. And Rome was a very volatile place at this time. It was dangerous. Christians were being persecuted. So, for you to proclaim Christ was dangerous. You could land up in prison, like we see with Paul. You could die. So, the stakes were high. But because of Paul's imprisonment for the gospel and his willingness to die for the gospel, other believers were inspired. And they had courage to preach the gospel, which is beautiful. Verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? Why? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers... And God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me, will turn out for my deliverance. Paul's perspective here is incredible. He's in this terrible situation, but somehow he's above it. And yes, there are challenges, and serious challenges at that. People are preaching the gospel out of jealousy and rivalry. They're opposed to Paul. They're stirring up trouble for him. But what does he say? What does it matter? Why? The important thing is he had decided what was important. And that was that Christ is being preached. And so that becomes a filter for Paul, that he filters everything that happens in his life through. doesn't matter what comes his way. If Christ is being preached, that's important. And that's how he can say what he does. He believed his suffering and his hardship were being used for good. And what about us? Do we believe that God can use our suffering and hardship for good? We saw that with with Leanne, with her story. God is busy turning it around for good. He's busy using it for good. But what is important to us? What is, do we have a, this is important filter, like Paul did? Friends, we serve a God of redemption, and he can bring good from our pain. But we have to decide, what is good? Maybe you say to me, yeah, I believe God can bring good from this terrible situation in my life. But what is our definition of good? Because sometimes, for me, that's comfortable, Or good circumstances. But that's not what we see here with Paul. His circumstances were anything but good. He's in prison. But he still believes and is convinced that good is coming from his discomfort. And that's why he can rejoice. Because his joy was connected to the thing that was important to him. And that is that Christ was being preached. What is my joy connected to? What is your joy connected to, because until we define that, we are never going to be able to have the kind of perspective that Paul did. You know, Paul was in chains, but actually he was free. He was actually free. Verse 20, for to me, uh, sorry, 20, I eagerly expect and hope That I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It's a popular scripture. Many of us are familiar with that scripture. But Paul is saying, I am occupied by Christ. Everything I do is inspired by Christ. He gives direction and meaning and purpose to my existence. And if I die, I will still benefit because I will be with Christ. And the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how or when the Apostle Paul died. Tradition says he was probably beheaded in Rome a few years after this letter was written. And so none of us deny that Paul lived for Christ, but he probably died for Christ which makes him a martyr. And there have been many martyrs over the years who have said these exact words, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And maybe you're saying, well, you know, it's different these days. We don't have too many martyrs. You know, if people land up in prison for their faith, it's unlikely they die for their faith. But I want to share three modern-day stories with you. And the first, unfortunately, we don't have a photograph um, of her, but it's, the, the story is of a 65-year-old woman called Roshari Kambiri. And she converted from Islam to Christianity. And she was arrested in December last year in Iran. And her crime was acting against national security. That is a serious crime in Iran. For men, it means death. And for women, it means lifetime imprisonment. Iran is an Islamic state. So in other words, Islam is the official religion of Iran. 90 to 95% of the population is Muslim. And they officially acknowledge other religions. But Christians are often persecuted in Iran, especially Muslims who convert to Christianity. And so Rushari was arrested... She was interrogated from morning to evening for 10 consecutive days. And after she was released, apparently she was very distressed, you can imagine. She had to pay a fine of 102,000 rand. It's equivalent to 102,000 rand in in their currency. Talk about paying the price for your faith. And uh, then she had to go to an Islamic religious leader... And receive instruction on Islam. And she was given the opportunity to return to Islam. After all of this, Rishari says My prayer is that God will help all Christians who are arrested and interrogated in Iran to stand firm in the faith. To stand firm in the faith. Remember those words, because they're going to be important later. In December 2018, 114 Christians were arrested in one week in Iran alone. And, and those are the ones we know about. So it's very difficult to be a Christian in Iran. You pay a high price. The second story is of Wang Yi and his wife... We have a picture of them. So Wang Yi is an influential and outspoken pastor of one of the Christian churches in the city of Chengdu in China. And he was arrested with his wife and a a hundred other members of their congregation also in December last year. Their crime is undermining the authority and power of the state. So in other words, acting against the government which is also a serious crime in China, you can be sentenced to 15 years in prison. So China doesn't have an official religion like Iran does. Um, It says it allows religious freedom. But over the years, China has taken action against religious leaders that it thinks are a threat to authority or to the stability of the state. And particularly Christianity, because of the perceived or actual associations with the West. So for China, it's scary if you, if you are Christian because you have associations with the West. So churches in China have to register with the government um, so that they're monitored and there's stricter control over what they teach. So, so churches are regulated in, in China. So apparently 25 members of this church congregation are still in custody Um, The ones who have been released have posted photos on social media of how they were beaten while they were in police custody. Um, Pastor Wang Yi and his wife are still in custody. They have an 11-year-old son who stays with his grandmother. And she says the police watch their every move. They follow them wherever they go. In some parts of rural China... The governments have actually started a program where they offer financial rewards to anyone who discovers and reports a group of Christians gathering. So the community are now divided and they're acting against one another. So difficult to be a Christian in China. Our third and last story is of Azia Bibi. Um, some of you may have heard her story. It's it's got quite a lot of publicity. Um, but Azia is a Christian woman from Pakistan who also converted from Islam to Christianity. She was arrested in 2010. She had a dispute with her fellow Muslim farm workers, some women she was working with on a farm. They refused to drink out of the same water container as her because she's a Christian. And so they demanded that she return to Islam. She refused. And five days later, a riot broke out, and she was arrested. Her crime was for blasphemy against the Prophet Muhammad, which is a very, very, very serious crime in Pakistan. And so she was sentenced to death. Uh, last year, 2018, she was cleared of all the charges against her after eight years on death row. The reports are mixed uh, some people say that she is still in the country in Pakistan in um, protective custody because when she was acquitted, riots broke out again. And, and a lot of radical Muslims said that she wasn't allowed to leave the country and that if they found her, they would kill her. Um, and they were actually demanding a public hang, that she was hanged in public. And the only way to calm the situation down was for the government to say... Okay, we won't allow her to leave the country. Um, So she's either in protective custody, other reports say she has left the country. But all she had to do to be released from prison or at least the death sentence was to return to Islam. That's all she had to do. Even now, she's a target and she has to keep looking over her shoulder. Why doesn't she take the easy way out and return to Islam? Because like Paul, She is convinced of what is important, and that's Christ. And Christ is being preached through her story. And she said recently, I will not convert. I believe in Jesus. She's living for him. She's prepared to die for him. And so she filters everything in her life through that. That is what's important to her. Friends, these are modern-day stories. These, these are happening right now. And when you stand to be arrested and imprisoned and questioned for days and possibly tortured and sentenced to death for your faith, you must know what is important. And you must be convinced of that at a very, very, very deep level. Like Paul was, and like these fellow persecuted brothers and sisters of ours are. And we may not have to go to prison for our faith. We may not have to die for Christ. But are we prepared to live for him? Are we prepared to live for him? Is he important to us? Is the gospel being preached important to us? And how convinced am I of that? Because this will affect our perspective. It will affect our life. It will affect how we live our lives. And I share these stories with you because my desire is that they will motivate us. These modern-day stories will motivate us, like Paul's story motivated the believers back then, that we would be more confident and more courageous in proclaiming the gospel, especially in a country where we are free to do that. And South Africa has its challenges. I only have to mention two words, load shedding. I had to check that it was two words. It is two words because I thought maybe it's one word. But can I challenge us? What does it look like for you and I to be courageous for the gospel in South Africa? I'm probably going to get into trouble for sharing this story because it wasn't in my notes when Daryl looked at them. So <clears throat> sometimes it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. I promise you, I'm not rebellious. So, so some of you have experienced this when you're out and about with Daryl. He's quite bold when it comes to the gospel. Am I right? It's all right. Huh? Huh? So, wherever we go, he'll strike up a conversation with random people. He'll say, God bless you in Jesus' name. If we're sitting having a meal, the waiter gets roped into the prayer. So, he's, he's whether he wants to or not, or she wants to or not. So, he's, he's quite bold. And, and, we, and if I'm with him, my awkward, introverted self, I battle a bit. And I just wish that this hill would appear and I could just roll down it, you know, to escape the situation. But I admire him. I admire him. But I'm not him. But that's no excuse. Because what does it look like for me? What does it look like for me with my personality and my upbringing to have courage for the gospel? What does that look like? What does it look like for you? You know, I used to love this quote: "Preach the gospel at all times, and use words if necessary," because it suited me. Because I thought, you know what? Um, I'll just live my life, um, and people will see Jesus in me, and miraculously, they'll just want to accept Him. It suited me. But friends, it's not in the Bible. That's not a quote from from Scripture. What are some quotes from scripture and I'm sharing two? There are many, many more. Mark sixteen, fifteen. Then Jesus said to them So wherever you go in the world tell everyone the good news. That involves some speaking. Tell everyone the good news. one Peter three fifteen always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. How will people know if we don't tell them? How will they know? What does it look like for you and I to be courageous in speaking or preaching or telling people about Jesus? I'm preaching to myself here this morning. Verse 22 and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul's torn here. He's facing death, and he wants to be with Christ, because that is better by far. He's saying it's more necessary for you that I remain. Again, we see this concern for the body of Christ, which is very rare in our individualistic society today. This kind of selflessness, Uh, you know, we think to have meaning in our lives here, we must have a lot of freedom to fulfill our dreams and our desires and our, our happiness, but here we see. Meaning comes through a deep connection and a love and a concern for others to the point of sacrifice. Paul was eager to be with Christ, but he was willing to stay for their sake. What are we willing to do for the sake of others, even though we are eager to do something else? Philippians 2 verse 2, everyone looks to their own interests, but not those Of Jesus Christ. There's this beautiful cycle of concern. In the book of Philippians. How are we demonstrating our concern. For one another here. I don't know about you. But I have a lot of work. To do in this area. But I have been. On the receiving end. Of someone else sacrificing. For me. And um, I know. Daryl has shared the story with you. Um, But we met Rory Dyer, uh, who leads 3CI Church in in Pretoria, in a divine way. It was really a divine connection. And Rory's a busy man. He's a busy man. He gets a lot of invitations to speak overseas, um, in the country. Um, He's leading a church and a team. So he's busy. And he probably didn't have the time to invest in us. But God knew it was so necessary at the time when Daryl and I desperately needed it. And Rory blew wind into our sails. He encouraged us. He still encourages us. It wasn't convenient for him at the time, but it made a huge impact on our progress and our joy in the faith. And like Paul says here, we can definitely boast in Jesus all the more because of Rory Dyer. He was present with us. He labored for our progress and joy in the faith. What does it look like for us to do that for someone else? To be present and to labor for their progress and their joy. It's a selfless way to live, but it's a very meaningful and joyous way to live. Verse 27, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you, or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one Spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here that I still have. Up until now, Paul's been thanking them. He's telling them how much he loves them, what he's believing for them, what he's praying for them. He's updating them on what's happening to him and what's important to him. But here, Paul clicks over into instruction, and he starts off by saying, whatever happens. So he's saying, pay attention. This is important. Listen up. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And the word conduct here means to live as a citizen. So Philippi was a Roman colony. They knew what it was like to live as Roman citizens. But Paul is saying they are citizens of another colony. They are citizens of another kingdom. And they are under the rule of someone else besides Caesar. And that is Jesus Christ. He's the true Lord and Savior and King. And this King came to bring a new kingdom a new way to the earth, a new culture, a Jesus culture of salvation, freedom, grace, kindness, healing, mercy, forgiveness. And Paul is saying, be a good citizen of that kingdom. And how do we bring a new kingdom to earth? How do we expand a new kingdom? Paul tells us, by living in community, by being united, By standing firm, by striving, suffering, and struggling together for this king and for this kingdom. Shoulder to shoulder, in the boat together. Daryl mentioned the boat last week. Partnership in unity. Unity is a big deal. It's a big deal in scripture. It's a big deal in, in the church of Christ. Because in unity, there is strength. And we know the word unity has been part of South Africa's motto for over 100 years. But it's been part of Jesus' motto for his church and his kingdom for over 2,000 years. And community and rowing in that boat are not easy. We know this. We give up our time, our sacrifice. We make sacrifices to follow Jesus. But this standing firm and striving and struggling is for What? The gospel of Christ so that the gospel is preached. Remember Rashari from Iran? Remember her prayer? She said, my prayer is that God would help all Christians who are arrested and interrogated in Iran to stand firm in the faith. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. She gets it. She gets it. And we have to ask ourselves, what kingdom do I live in? What king do I worship? Because we are created to worship. So we are worshiping something or someone. And the question is, who or what? Who or what? Because I like to be the king of my life. But according to Paul, Jesus is the king. It's another important theme in this letter to the Philippians. Jesus is mentioned 38 times. Joy is mentioned 16 times. Who's the hero of the letter? Jesus. I often have to step off the throne of my own life and come under the rule and the reign of the one and only true King, Jesus Christ. Friends, Paul is a—it's a beautiful uh, Philippians is a beautiful letter. It's a deep, deep letter. And I really encourage us to to read it and to meditate on it in our daily devotions. But more than that, to let it richly dwell in us. So that our love for one another will grow. That we would be able to know what is right and what is best. That we will want to see Christ preached. And that not only that, we would be more courageous and inspired to preach him ourselves. That we would decide what doesn't matter. Because a lot of us, we think what doesn't actually matter, matters. But we need to decide what doesn't matter. And what is important. Like Paul just knew, like these persecuted believers know. They know what is important. That we would lay aside what we want. And labor for each other's joy and progress in the faith. And that above all else, that we would always conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus. As citizens of heaven, as we stand firm and strive and struggle together so that Christ is preached to the glory and praise of our God.